Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. First of all, yeah. you know you you know that Sal, you guys are the reason why I even have this podcast, right? No way. Well, remember, I was on your show, was it like a year and a half ago? And I was like, I think I want to start a podcast, but I don't know what the name should be. Should it be Genspiration? Should it be, you know, don't you remember this whole thing? I do. I do remember now. That's right. You, we were talking about like names and what you were going to do on it. Yes. Well, I knew what I, was, I wanted to do. I just didn't know what the name would be. And we were going back. It was like 20 minutes of back and forth on your podcast about what name, this name. And then like this name came out of, you know, I just thought of it one day. But I actually owe this podcast to, to Mind Pump. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you're a natural. and it was, It's easy for you. You're, you're so good at it. Oh, gosh. You're too, you're too kind. Go on. No, I'm yeah. just joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. But by the way, also, congratulations. Yeah. You had your baby, right? Did you thank, no, I, I, no, no, that was Adam who had the baby. Oh, I thought I you am, had a baby. No, we're expecting. So oh. we're going to have one in, in October. Oh, my gosh. This whole time, I thought you were the one that had the baby. No, I have two kids, uh, and I have one on the way. So we're only—I think we're 16 weeks right now. But Adam oh, had Adam his just baby. Had a baby. Oh my gosh! Yes. So this whole time, yeah. I was thinking, I always get—you know—there's there's four of you. There's Doug, you, uh, Adam. Was and, the, and what's the other one? The, uh, the, the other guy, the other Justin. Guy. Yeah, Justin. Yes, Justin. <laughs> well, he's very—he's quiet. He's more quiet. That's why. But um, yeah, we tease him all the time. We we call him the other guy because people. Say that too. <laughs> Not, well, because, you know, just because he's, he's, he's more of a subdued kind of character, you know? He doesn't have a big mouth like Adam and I do, right. which is good because it, balance, it balances us out. If, it was, if there was another Adam or Sal on the show, we would annoy everybody. Be over. That's right. You need a yin to the yang, you know? That's what I kind of, you know, you need to have that balance. You got to have somebody to balance out the two massive egos. So it comes out oh, great gosh. that way. Well, you're, but by the, okay, so you are like the most knowledgeable human in, in, in in like the whole umbrella, I believe of like fitness and health. Like you're like an encyclopedia. Like I, I find like, are you just all self-taught? Did you just, besides of course, having your certifications for training and everything like that, how did you become like this extensive in almost like everything, hormones, gut health, I feel like fitness. Yeah, I, I have a, um, a bit of an obsessive personality. So if I really get into something, I just dive uh, really, really deep into it. And I have been utterly obsessed with fitness and health uh, since the age of 14. I, I got into working out at the age of 14 because I was very insecure as a real skinny kid. So I started lifting weights and immediately fell in love with it. And I mean, literally within a year, decided that I wanted to work in the health space in some way, shape or form. And then by the time I turned 18, graduated high school, I went straight to, uh, to the local 24-hour fitness, became a personal trainer. Four months later, was managing the fitness department, and maybe six months later, was a general manager, uh, and that was it. And uh, and since then, I've always learned and read as much as I possibly could. It's just something that really, really interests me. All things health and fitness, so that includes working out, diet, and then of course gut health. You start to learn about that. You start to learn about you know relationships with the people around you and how that affects your health. You start to figure out that health is a is a sphere that encompasses much more than just working out and diet. Um, you learn about spirituality. That's another part of health. And so it's just, it's just, there's so much to, to learn. I don't think I'll ever stop. I think there's, it's always going to be a growth 
you know, a period of growth for me. I think it's going to be lifelong. Yeah, it's also like an evolution. I know that when like people ask me like very basic questions about like fitness, I always try to talk about the holistic thing, right? Because it's not just the yeah. physical. There's so much of all of this is mental, right? Like your behaviors, your mindset, and all of that dictates the the physical part. I always found was the easier part if you have your head on right and you're and you're doing all the other pieces that kind of puzzle together. You know, a hundred percent. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, and I think when you train people for a while, um, especially if you really want to help them, you start to figure that out. We all start off as trainers, really wanting to focus on, you know, getting people, you know, sculpted and burning right. body fat and looking good. But then you start to figure out that, hey, if, if I want to really help these people long term, I need to be able to talk about uh, the, the full picture of what what this looks like. And the truth is, if you're motivated by just by looking a particular way, that will only get you so far. At some point, you have to really develop a good relationship uh, with fitness and, and nutrition and, and health. In order to develop a long-term, lifelong relationship, because if you're always, always only focused on the way you look, it tends to motivate you in particular ways. You tend to overtrain or overdiet or hate yourself. So you know you go to the gym because you don't like the way you look. And so, what kind of workouts do you do when you hate yourself? You punish yourself. You don't listen to your body. But eventually, if you stick with it long enough, and, and if you really are a growth-minded person, or if you work with a good coach that helps you along the way. You start to view exercise and nutrition really as ways of taking care of yourself. And it really does help direct your decision-making process. You start to train more appropriately. You start to eat more appropriately. You, you realize that, you know, depending on the context of your life, your workout programs can help with the context. It's, it's a tool that can be molded to where if you're going through a very tough period in your life, for example, you know, years ago, I, I went through a very difficult uh, period in my life. I didn't go to the gym seeking to hit PRs or, you know, get shredded. Really, I was going to the to the gym to maintain my energy and health and fitness so I could be there uh, for my family. So it was it was a totally different way of working out, uh, but it benefited me. Now, had I gone to the gym and not molded that tool to fit the context, I would have overtrained, burned myself out, probably would have caused myself a lot of damage. Um, maybe stop working out uh, altogether. So. Um, I think this is an important thing that, you know, people like us should communicate um, to everybody else because the message that we continue to get from the fitness industry is get shredded, mm -hmm. get sculpted, do it in 30 days, which nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if that's the only message you get, um, you are not uh, you are not reaping the full and amazing benefits of of what fitness and, and nutrition can do for you. I agree. I also feel like motivation is it wanes, right? Sometimes you're more totally. motivated than other times. It's a it's a feeling. And I find that people are like, how do I the, the a big question and I'm going to ask this to you is like, how do I get motivated? And I know when people ask that to me, I get I get stumped because I don't believe there is such a thing for long-term success. So what do you believe in that whole thing? How do you oh, I I 100% agree with you. Um, motivation is a feeling. Um, and, you know, we're, we're complex creatures. We can't live in one feeling all the time. Right. And you don't need, you don't need to be told to work out and eat right when you're motivated. That's easy. Um, when you're, you're motivated, right. obviously exactly. you're inspired. Exactly. The hard part is when that feeling starts to go down, which it inevitably does. How do you maintain consistency? So the key is to not fall in love 
It's okay to enjoy motivation, inspiration. When you get it, it's great. Take advantage of it. But don't fall in love with that. Rather, fall in love with discipline. Discipline is a completely different feeling. Discipline is I do it uh, regardless of how motivated I am. You know, discipline is what gets us to brush our teeth in the morning, take a shower, and get out of bed. Um, you know, I don't need to be motivated to to brush my teeth every morning. So, and it's a process. It's a mental state. So, what does that look like? Well, this is what it looks like. When I'm motivated and inspired and feeling good, I'm getting after it in the gym. I'm pushing myself right. a little harder. I'm getting like these amazing workouts. When the motivation wanes and I'm feeling a little bit down, I have the discipline to go to the gym. And then I ask myself the following questions. How can I take care of myself right now? I'm feeling down. I'm not feeling motivated, inspired. How can I use fitness as a way to nourish myself, to take care of myself? And um, I value the the discipline aspect that, and I think if you fall in love with the discipline, then you're, you're going to stay consistent regardless of when motivation is up or down. And if you view exercise as a way to take care of yourself, then that exercise is going to shape and mold based off of the rest of your life. And so you develop this long-term lifelong relationship with it where, you know, and, and what's the, what's the side effect of that? I mean, let's be honest. The side effect of that is you look amazing, which everybody wants. Um, my, the funny thing is, just walked in here. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. So the, I'm just busy doing. Hi, can I come and talk to you after? Thank you. Thank you. This is what happens oh, when you're doing this. This is what happens <laughs> under lockdown and uh, quarantine. Okay. This is my life. That's awesome. Um, I love it. I apologize. Go ahead. She wants to bring me a. Package. Yeah, no problem. You develop a long-term, lifelong relationship uh, with exercise and fitness, and so now you know. Here's the thing. Um, it's harder to communicate that. Um, if I'm, it's really easy to communicate, you know, get shredded quick. And it's easy for me to develop a program and have a persona that is just inspiring and motivating, like the boot camp instructors or whatever. Um, but the reality is, if, if I really want to help people, um, I, I don't need to figure out how to get them to the gym when they're motivated. That's really easy. I need to figure out how to communicate the hard stuff like discipline, context, how to treat exercise as a way to. To, to nourish and take care of yourself. And, you know, one thing I'll say, you know, Jen, we, we started Mind Pump uh, five years ago and we had no media experience whatsoever. We never podcasted. We never did anything in front of the camera. We were just trainers with, you know, 15 to 20 years of experience. But one thing that we did have was that, that experience of communicating these ideas to people over and over again and really figuring out how to do it in effective ways. And that's what we try to do on the podcast. We try to, communicate the right information, but do it as effectively as the people who are communicating the wrong information. Like how can we beat that? Absolutely. So you said two things I want to touch upon. Number one is the discipline because of, of course, I mean, to you need to have the discipline to have to change to really change your lifestyle long term. So the question is, how does someone find discipline? Like how do you build how do you start building that trait? If you don't naturally have it in other ways, like how you do one thing in life is typically how you do a lot of things in life or everything. In life. Yeah. So what would you yeah. tell people? How can they start building that, developing? That's an uh, excellent question. Um, discipline is a skill. Okay. So like any skill, you start at one skill set or point and you develop it over time. So the question is, how do I develop and work on that skill? Okay. Here's how you do it in the, in the context of fitness. Give yourself a challenging 
but realistic goal. Something that's challenging enough to give meaning because if it doesn't challenge you, there's no meaning behind it. It won't be worth anything. But also make it realistic so that you don't guarantee yourself failure. So what I mean by that is don't say to yourself, okay, I never go to the gym right now. So now my goal is to be at the gym five days a week. That for the most part is probably very unrealistic. Right. So ask yourself the following. What do I do right now? How much can I add or do that I know I can maintain forever? What can I add that I can maintain forever? Oftentimes, that sounds like one day a week or two days a week. Right. You start there. Start there and be consistent. Apply discipline to it. And end, what ends up happening is you end up building the skill of discipline. You end up becoming confident. So I used to do this with, with clients, right? In my early days as a personal trainer, if a client came to me and said, you know, uh, one of the biggest things you'll get, one of the biggest objections you'll get from a client is that they don't have enough time. You know, they'll say things like, you know, I've got kids, right. I've got a job, uh, I just don't have the time to work out. Now, the young, inexperienced uh, version of myself when I first became a trainer would say something like, you just got to get, you know, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day and you got to make the time. And if you make the time, then you'll, you'll be more motivated for the rest of your day. It'll, it'll contribute. It'll make you a better mother. It'll make you a better father. It'll, it'll make you more productive at work. And all of those things are true. Mm-hmm. They're not untrue, but it's a very ineffective way of communicating to a client. And it's really not a good strategy. So what I started to learn was rather than saying all that, it's still true, but very ineffective. I would say this, how much time can you realistically dedicate to fitness now? There are no wrong answers. And then they would tell me 30 minutes a week. And you know what I would say? Fine. That's where we're going to start. Or they'd say an hour a week or whatever. Whatever they gave me is what we would start with. And here's what would happen, Jen. They would start with that small, challenging, but realistic goal. They would stick to it more often than not because it was realistic. And then on their own, without me prompting them, without me motivating them, without me saying anything, eventually they would come to me and say, you know what, Sal, I'm ready to do another hour a week. Or you know what, do you think I could work out with you more days a week? Or you know what, I started changing my nutrition now on top of it. And little by little, they start to develop that skill of discipline. And what that produced was long-term success. I mean, I haven't trained a single client. uh, Well, I, I can't say that, but I haven't really trained clients for about four years. So about one year into Mind Pump, I I sold my personal training studio, Mm. stopped training people. And the clients I had worked with, the average client was with me for anywhere between six to 12 years. Every single one of them, I stay in contact with them. Every single one of them is still at working out. Every single one of them is still consistent. Now, if I go back to the beginning of my career, almost every one of my early clients (laughs) stopped. Absolutely. So it's a totally, totally different approach and strategy. But again, discipline is a small, is a skill. And think about it this way. I know people listening are like, oh, I want to get there faster. Okay. If you take two parallel lines that are perfectly parallel and I move the top one, one degree up, just one tiny degree, barely noticeable. If you follow those two parallel lines for a mile, two miles, three miles, they start to become further and further and further apart. So these small changes although they may seem insignificant, they may seem like it's not happening as fast as I want. Trust me with this. Before you know it, you will be making profound changes to your lifestyle, of course, the way you look and feel, and it'll be permanent. It's more likely to be permanent. And I don't think anybody wants to accomplish something only to lose it You know, later on. We're looking for permanent, lifelong 
uh, results here. So it's basically you're going to practice like anything else totally. in life, any skill you have to practice, basketball, if you want to be good at it, Spanish, if you want to be good at it, discipline, like anything else is that same kind of skill. And then people feel like as they practice and get better and better, it's motivated. It, that's the motivation, right? That kind of propels them to be better. Yes. Keep on you, going. Absolutely. You, you, you start to um, embrace and enjoy the skill of discipline. You know, one of my favorite, I, I, you know, as a trainer, I had favorite categories of clients, right? I love training everybody, but there were categories that I really enjoyed training. We all say more than others. Sure, you do. Yeah. Right. So my favorite was, uh, were people in advanced age. And my second favorite were, were kids. Uh, Let me tell you why I love training kids because I would notice, uh, profound effects to the rest of their life. So somebody would, you know, bring me their kid. Typically, it was a client that I already was training, and they'd say, "You know, my son, uh, you know, he's, he's twelve or thirteen, and I want to hire you to start training him." Um, and so I would, and I'd start training him, and we would, I would apply what we're talking about, this, you know, developing the skill of discipline. And you know, they come and see me one week, and they do ten push-ups, and then the next week they do eleven, and I'd point it out, and I'd say, "Wow, you know, you do realize that you're not the same person this week that you were last week. You, you did one more, which means fundamentally speaking." You're not the same person. And I would just kind of communicate to that, uh, that to them. Well, over time, their parents would come to me and say things like, you know, he's doing his homework now consistently. And I noticed that he's better with his friends and he's, you know, doing better things at home. And it was because they would learn the skill of discipline and see the, the progress and results. And it just bled over into the rest of their life. You know, what you said earlier about how you do, you know, some things is kind of how you do everything. I think it's totally true. So, and one thing that I love about fitness, Jen, is it's a very black and white way of seeing this. It's easier to learn the skill of discipline through fitness than almost anything else because you feel and see the results very black and white. You know, if I told somebody, hey, we're going to develop discipline to make you a better husband or, you know, to help you build your business. I mean, you could do that, but so complex and there's a lot of ways you can measure whether you're succeeding or not. But, you know, if you go to the gym and you added 20 pounds to your squat um, and you're stronger, it's very clear. So I love fitness for teaching discipline. I think it's one of the best ways to do it. You know, it's amazing. I, I, I agree. I actually um, wrote a whole thing and I did a whole talk about the fact that I think that there's a correlation between super successful people and fitness. They take fitness seriously usually because exactly that thing. When you take that, that I think fitness is like sometimes the, the first thing, right? That you can like, you can, you can see measurable results to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that, that bleeds over into everything else in life. And I think when you start young, like you were saying, you teach the kids at a young age that, that skill, it bleeds into everything else. Cause there, I feel like fitness is, um, there's so many different ways you can do it. Like I feel it also as you get stronger, you get mentally stronger, physically stronger versus it gets, you get more mentally strong. But what I was going to say also to you is that what you guys do well at Mind Pump is I think, but you were saying you, you, you touched upon this. There's so much information out there, overload, right? Especially now mm-hmm. with social media. There's so many people out there who are fitness models or selling these online programs and they don't have the wherewithal and they don't have the knowledge base to mm-hmm. be probably like teaching people how to do these things. And what do you think about that? Like, how do you decipher between people who are real, who are, who are, who are just posers, so to speak, a, a fitness model who looks a certain way and you're, mm-hmm. get, you're gleaning all, you're gleaning all their, your, the knowledge 
from that person versus someone who I think you broke it down in one of your posts about coaches and academics versus these models slash, you know, quick buck social media people. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to counter um, because, you know, here's the thing you want to consider. A lot of the best looking bodies um, that you'll ever see on, you know, magazines mm-hmm. or social media, oftentimes, and I know this from personal experience because I, I've worked with a lot of these people, oftentimes what drove them uh, to those extremes were uh, really bad body image issues. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, um, there's a much higher percentage of people with eating disorders in the, the social media fitness space than you'll find in the average, uh, you know, population. Yeah. It's very, very high. Uh, so what you're getting is you're getting information from people who probably shouldn't be coaching and training other people. Um, they're, they're, they're taking it from a place of probably poor health, although they display, you know, looking really good, oftentimes anabolic steroids, oftentimes, uh, you know, extreme dieting habits or whatever. They're not communicating the right stuff. Now, right. trainers, uh, trainers in particular with lots of experience have the experience of working with lots and lots and lots of average everyday people. And what they're going to communicate is information that uh, through years of practice and experience working on lots and lots of people is what really works, what really helps people long term. But yeah, we're always trying to counter that. Now, the problem is that the, the, the really good looking shredded fitness marketers through social media are really, really good at, um, uh, at selling their ideas. They do a good job of doing that. Right. The the the, pe- the people in fitness who have the right information oftentimes don't sell it as well. Right. So they're losing they're losing the battle of information. What we're trying to do is we're trying to win the battle of information through selling the right ideas. Like how do you sell the right ideas? Right. So I'll give you a, a, a one example. So let's say I want to communicate the very true statement that you should chase health rather than looks when it comes to your workout and nutrition. So what I mean by that is if you are working out and eating and the number one reason why you're eating a particular way and working out a particular way is just because you want to change how you look, you're far better off if you are motivated and and you chase optimal health. You're better off if you chase optimal health. And here's why. When you're chasing how you look, you oftentimes ignore your body signals you oftentimes are focused on, you, you start to confuse your body image with your self-image. So how you look objectively becomes who you are. So you hear the term like, I am fat rather than I have fat. Mm-hmm. So it changes and it, it, it motivates you to do things that aren't necessarily healthy for you. This is when you see the abuse of uh, plastic surgery, the abuse of supplements, uh, crazy diets, overtraining, anabolic steroids in men. That's what uh, can motivate that when you're looking at the extreme examples of and that. women, by the Over- way, I want to just interject yes. that I feel that women now I, I didn't realize as much, but I feel like women are like taking a lot of hormones also that to kind of to shred faster, like they're upping their testosterone when they shouldn't be. I mean, people are yes, doing all sorts of things. Anything that can that has the promise of, of changing the way you look mm-hmm. and, and getting you there faster can be abused. You're, you're right, women will do the uh, same thing. Now, here's what happens when you do that. Eventually, you start to lose your health. Mm-hmm. And when you lose your health, what follows? How you look. So <laughs> find me, a, when people have poor health, they lose their attractiveness. They lose their aesthetics. Now, when somebody has very good health, 
and they chase good health through exercise and nutrition, what follows along with that? What's the inevitable side effect of that? You look amazing. Right. Find me some, someone who is healthy on the inside and out. Somebody who has a healthy body, somebody who exercises to take care of themselves, someone who has a healthy mental state, healthy spiritual practice, great relationships around them. And you'll find somebody that's attractive. Yeah. So how do I sell the, how do I sell the idea? This is how I sell it. If you chase aesthetics, eventually you'll lose your health and you'll lose your aesthetics. If you chase your health, you'll get a great deal of aesthetics and you'll keep it. And so that's how I take that message and I take the wrong message and I counter it with a better sales message, but it's true. I'm I'm being honest. No, I like that. But I think what happens is psychologically, right? Because everything is instant gratification, right? With Instagram or whatever. And and you're like swiping and looking and you think because exactly what you said, psychologically, someone looks hot, great. They have like the ripped. You think, oh my God, that's the person. I want to do what they're doing. And you don't have like, like your brain's not able to decipher between you know, the fact that the other guy on the next page is probably much more knowledgeable. He could be, an, he could be a professor in this, but he, he looks normal. And so you, you yeah. gravitate to the other people. And I see it all the time. And it's like when you actually peel the, the, the onion, the layers of the onion, you find out this person is naturally, this is what I wanted to talk to you about. They're naturally really skinny. Right. And then they just do a little bit of weights, let's say. They're, first of all, they're 21 years old. Then they do like a little <laughs> bit of weights. And so they look super shredded and fit. But really, it's not like they have any knowledge. They're not like they're doing anything that's extra special on the health side. Like, so my question again is body, like having like a, do you believe that people have like a certain place where they're genetically most comfortable and you can only, um, I guess you can only like, you can really like screw with it so much one way or the other, right? Like mm. I, I like I guess a body weight setting, right? Because I I know for myself, and I know maybe you may you might disagree, no matter how hard I would try, I would I would always it would be very, very difficult for me to get below a baseline. So I guess the mm-hmm. question is baseline. Do you think people all have a baseline that you can only yeah. break so much? Yeah. So okay, so you have a genetic uh, you have genetic set point, but you also have psychological set points. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, if you grow up a particular way, you live a particular mm-hmm. lifestyle, you eat a particular way, then you may have developed a psychological set point in terms of what you feel most comfortable, uh, doing or how you feel most comfortable living. So that's, that's one part of that's, it. Now there's a, a genetic set point. That's a good, I've never heard that before. Yeah. And now there is a genetic set point as well, but that genetic point set points pretty wide. Okay, so do we have genetic set points that say we should be 60 pounds overweight? Highly unlikely. That's uh, that, that is a, a modern phenomenon. In fact, if you if you were to Google uh, circus uh, like circus fat man or whatever back in the day, you know, very cruel. But circuses used to have these what they used to call freak shows, and they would have people who you know look different or whatever, and people would pay money to see them. And if and they would always have typically a very what they consider to be very overweight individual. If you look at the pictures of the late 1800s of these circus fat man or fat woman, that's what they used to call them, you would see someone that today would blend in to your typical you know, Walmart crowd or whatever. That's how far we've come. So yes, genetics play a role, but genetics do not account for the severe obesity that we see, nor does it account for the extreme opposite end of the scale where people have eating disorders and, and oh, get yeah. themselves to I'm, I'm not- very unhealthy... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. Yeah. So, 
So your genetics will give you this range right here. Okay. And your lifestyle will dictate where you are. So let's like, let's say your range is, you know, uh, LeBron James for basketball skill, right? His potential is much higher than mine. Like I could work my butt off. I will never reach LeBron James's skill. However, if you look at my potential, it's this big and it's highly unlikely that I've reached my full potential as well. So you can play within that. The other thing to consider too is that there's a wide, all of us have a range of what's considered healthy genetically. So like for me, it's probably, you know, anywhere between 9% body fat and maybe 16 or 17% body fat. So if I'm taking care of myself, if I'm training right and I'm eating healthy, you're not going to see much difference in my health between 17, 16, 17% and 9%. Now I'll look different. Right. I'll look very different. 9%, I got a six pack, 17%. I got more of a, a of a dad bod maybe, right, right. but, but my health is, is pretty darn good. So yes, there is a genetic range, but I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, relying on the, oh no, I have this particular set point. That's more of a psychological set point because your genetic set point is a range. The psychological one tends to keep us stuck at where we like to be. Yeah. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And here's the other thing too. I can change my behaviors. I can change my thought patterns. I can change uh, you know, my activity, my lifestyle. I can't change my genetics. I really can't. So uh, I think it's important to, to focus on the things that you can change yeah. and, to, and to leave the rest on the side because what ends up happening, if I focus on the stuff that I can't change, um, I am not, I, I am creating an enemy out of reality. You know, that's the truth is my genetics are here or whatever. Okay, so I'm going to fight that every day. I'm going to hate that every single day. That's going to make reality unbearable. Why don't I just accept I have a certain genetic whatever? I'll never, I'll never be as muscular as Mr. Olympia, you know, because I wanted to build muscle as a kid. I never, I'll never be as muscular as, as Mr. Olympia. Okay, that's fine. But I have a potential for myself that I can get to. Let me focus on that instead. Right, exactly. I think that's a good point too, because, but again, it's about people, people sometimes it's very hard, right? Because you see other people, it's much easier for some people than others, right? And that can be a deterrent. That can, that can make people not want to continue. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about the extreme people who need to be shredded, but like people who want to have like a flat stomach, never mind a six pack, yeah. right? And no matter what they do, it, it's not working as well as like, you know, Mary or, or Bob. Yeah. Um, so like, so you do believe there is some kind of genetic set point and a, but there's also the, do you think the psychological set point um, makes people uh, gives that people that feeling like they kind of that not, de- I hate to w- w- use the word motivation, but kind of help derails them sometimes because they feel like they feel like a, they, they feel like they're not, it's not doing anything. They have it, it spirals them into a place of negativity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, do you know how hard, I mean, you know, this, this is a, this is just a question for the audience. It is, do you know how hard it is to change, um, fundamental behaviors? It is very, very difficult. Okay. So let's look at one set of fundamental behaviors that we all have, how we eat and the foods that we choose to eat. This food is not merely fuel. Okay. Food, we have entire cultures that are around food. Right. You know, there's Italian, there's Italian food, there's Mexican food, there's Chinese food, there's breakfast foods, lunch foods, dinner foods. There are foods uh, based off of context. Like when you're at a birthday, you expect to eat 
birthday hey, cake. Yes, exactly. When you're when you're at the movies, you expect to eat popcorn. In fact, I don't eat popcorn except for when I'm at the movies. Um, we are motivated or, or driven to eat not just because we need fuel, but because of how we feel. We can eat because we're happy, because we're sad, because we're stressed. We can celebrate with food. Like my my family's uh, heritage is Italian, um, and we celebrate. We use food as a way to celebrate um, all the time. Food can be tied to memories. I mean, I could go on and on. No, okay? I agree. I'm Jewish. So it's he, just like everything is related. Is everything is around food, right? Every you socialize yes. around food, and it's like it's very difficult. Like that, I think that's one of those psychological points that you were talking about. Right? Yes, that really yes. kind of plays a big factor in your in your set body baseline, right? Like you won't let yourself go below because you're so programmed to be doing other things. Absolutely. It's, it's, they are fundamental parts uh, of who you are. Yes. Okay. So let's say that you're somebody that, you know, you, you, when you find yourself stressed out, um, that you eat, you eat because you're stressed out. Okay. So that food has now become uh, a coping mechanism. You're self-medicating, if you will, with the food. Uh, and you might not even be aware of it, but let's say you start to become aware of it, right? Okay, so now I'm going to take away that food. Is the and I don't eat when I'm stressed. Have you solved the problem? Not really. You got to figure out a way to deal with your stress now. Yes, in a way exactly. that's that's not that food, right? So what about when you're bored? Or how about this? Here's a, here's an easy one. Um, you're 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 starting to change how you eat, right? You want to you want to eat healthier. So you go to a party and you're with your friends, and then your friends, you know, you eat your dinner. And then the friends bring out cookies, right? Home-baked cookies. And they say, hey, would you like a cookie? And you respond by saying, no, I can't. I can't have a cookie because I'm trying to eat better. Okay, let's let's break that down for a second. First of all, of course you can have a cookie. What do you mean you can't have a cookie? You can have a cookie if you want the cookie. The reality is you don't want that cookie because you're trying to change how you eat. And yet we tell people and ourselves, I can't. So let's break down the psychological phenomena that's happening here. I can't implies that you are being forced. Who is forcing you? You are. You have literally created a separate version of yourself who is this dictator who's telling you what you can and can't do. How long do you think you're going to last with a dictator telling you what you can and can't do? Not very long. And what does the behavior look like when you finally break free from that? Rebellion. It looks like the opposite. So if you have this, uh, this, this mental state where you say, I can't, I can't, I can't, even though reality is you don't want to because you're trying to change your behaviors, but you keep saying to others and yourself, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Eventually, this is the point that you reach. You say to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. I just want to enjoy life. Why are you saying that? Because nobody enjoys being tyrannized by anybody, right. even, if it's, even if it's just you. So then what do you do? You rebel. And what does that look like? Not just I have a cookie here and there, but I'm going to have a whole box of cookies. I am going off. I'm going the opposite direction. So it looks like a binge or whatever. And so why don't we change that, right? Why don't we change that a little bit? Instead of saying, I can't, why don't you just say, I don't want it? Now, here's the important part because people will say, but I do want it, but I do want it. I can't say that. Okay, no. Acknowledging that you're going to enjoy the flavor and acknowledging that you're going to enjoy the hedonistic value of a food is okay. That does not mean you necessarily want it because you can say to yourself, yes, I like that. That's going to taste good. Yes, I'm going to enjoy that. However, the reality is I want to feed myself in a way that takes care of myself. 
So I actually don't want it. Or, or you're, you're with your kids, you bake some cookies you haven't had any in a while, and you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to enjoy the taste of that cookie and, the val- and, and, and I'm going to enjoy it. And right now, that's the value that I want from that food. So I'm going to enjoy that cookie. And you end up not binging or not going way off. This is how you develop balance uh, with the foods around you. But it is, a, uh, it is something that's much deeper than just eat this way, don't eat this, and eat that. It's much deeper than that. And so it takes a long time. That's why I said earlier, small changes that are challenging yet realistic. It's the only way. The other way that you change fundamental behaviors is with an epiphany which is extremely rare. Right. Most of us don't, you know, that would be like you go to the doctor and the doctor say, um, oh, you've got three arteries that are blocked. We need to do a triple bypass. And then maybe you think, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose my, my life. And then I'm not going to see my kids and you have an epiphany. Uh, very unlikely to happen. In fact, even in those situations, oftentimes an epiphany doesn't happen. I mean, that's, I, I mean, you're, you're talking, it sounds like you're, you have to reframe how you talk to yourself. That's it sounds totally. like a lot of reframing. Like instead of saying, I can't, you say, I don't want to. I mean, and that again is like a scale you got to practice. All of this is basically practice. That's all, of the, all of this is, is practice. A hundred percent. Look, it's no different. Let's say you're in a dedicated relationship. You're married and you see an attractive person. You can admit to yourself, right. ooh, that's an attractive person. But I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, cheat on my spouse. I don't want, or you may say to yourself, wow, that person's a jerk. I'd really like to punch them in the face. Yeah. You might want to, you might enjoy punching them in the face for a second, right, but, right. Do, but do you really want to? <laughs> right. You don't. So really it's, it's about these behaviors. And the problem is, especially when it comes to food, Jen, is that we were never taught uh, to do this. Instead, we're in, we're in a very unique environment today, right? Yeah. Uh, we have unlimited access to inexpensive food, you can literally have any flavor or experience of food that you want uh, within a very short period of time. In fact, you probably don't even need to leave. I mean, I could right now go on my phone and if I wanted something sweet, salty, Chinese food, mix, whatever, I could order right now. So it's a very unique time. And so we have to learn how to develop good relationships around it. Where maybe thousands of years ago, that wasn't that important. You had food, you ate it. And if you didn't, you didn't eat it. Right. Uh, so. It's just much more important today than ever. What do you believe about, like, are you a guy who likes hacks? Like the, the word hacks I've never loved. It feels like it's like a shortcut that I, I never find shortcuts work personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all the rage, right? Like I feel like <laughs> health hacks, like everything you see now is like hashtag health hacks. Um, what's your, like, do, do you believe in health hacks? Do you think, what do you have any health hacks or another euphemism for hacks that you can use because I hate that word, but yeah, no, I do too. But I, but I know what you're saying. No, I just told you one, right? So one of them is rather than saying, I can't, yeah, you say, I don't want, that's what made me think of it. The reframing, how you speak to yourself. Yeah. So that's one. Um, Here's another one. If you attach, if let's say you want to increase your activity, let's say that you want to start walking, uh, you know, for 20 minutes, uh, three times a day or twice a day. Okay. Here's a health hack. Attach that activity to a ritual that you're already consistent with. So rather than saying twice a day, I'm going to walk for 20 minutes, you're more likely to be consistent with that. If you say, after I eat, I'm going to walk Mm -hmm. for 20 minutes because you are going to eat. That's something that you're already consistent doing. So I already eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So if I attach my walk to that ritual that I'm already doing, I'm far more likely to do this. 
Um, you know, marketers know this, by the way. Um, supplement manufacturers know this. So they'll tell you, I'll give you a great example. Um, you know, years ago, uh, protein powder uh, companies realized that if they really pushed the post-workout protein intake, that they would attach it to a ritual that all people who work out have, which is working out, mm-hmm. that people are more likely to use protein and protein sales exploded. Um, another category of supplements that does that is pre-workouts. Yes. They've attached it. They've attached it to a ritual. All people who work out, work out, attach it to the ritual, and you're going to get people to be consistent. So that's another way to do it. So if you want to be more active, attach it to things that you already do. So you may say to yourself, I need to work on mobility. Well, if you watch 30 minutes of TV every night with your spouse, then attach it to that. Every night when I watch TV for 30 minutes, I'm going to sit on the floor and I'm going to do uh, you know, easy mobility movements while I watch TV. And if you do that, you're more likely to be consistent. Okay. So away from the fitness portion, let's talk about the other stuff, like the nutrition, the other, other elements, right. That kind of go full circle. Do you have, like, what do you, do you believe in supplements then? Do you take supplements? So supplements can play a vital role in proper nutrition, but they don't come anywhere close to proper nutrition. Um, if, if you look at, you know, if I were to, very generally and loosely, uh, you know, make like a, a pie chart mm-hmm. and say, you know, exercise, lifestyle, which includes sleep, you know, uh, you know, relationships with the people around you, mindset and nutrition and supplements. What percentages of each mm-hmm. lifestyle, exercise, nutrition make up about 99% of that pie chart. Supplements would make up about 1% unless you actually lack a key nutrient in your diet, in which case supplements can be a godsend. So let's say you're somebody that is actually lacking in uh, B vitamin. Uh, You'll find this a lot of women sometimes will be lacking in B vitamin, especially vegans or people who don't eat much meat. Supplementing with a B vitamin can be a total game changer. Or let's say uh, same category of people, you don't eat much meat. Uh, Creatine can be a game changer. Creatine is only found uh, naturally in animal products. Um, Studies will show that vegans who supplement with creatine actually get a a immeasurable cognitive boost uh, from from taking that, or let's say your vitamin D levels are low and stuff like that. So, or maybe you're somebody that let's say you want to maximize your your body's uh, progress. You want to maximize strength and muscle building, um, and you're trying to eat adequate protein to do that. Studies will show anywhere between maybe 0.6 grams to 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight is roughly where you'll get maximum results. Any more than that is kind of a waste, and lower than that. You'll start to get, you know, uh, reducing results. Um, maybe a protein powder might benefit you because I know I've, I've had clients who just really find it difficult um, to eat adequate protein. They just don't like the taste of meat or whatever. Um, then a protein powder can be beneficial. But supplements, uh, they cannot make up for a poor diet, uh, you know, bad lifestyle or, you know, poor exercise or activity. They just can't. I feel like at, it's a craze right now. I feel like vitamin D is one supplement that people are, are all like, not just talking about, but, you know, I went to get my blood test. They were like, I live in, you know, I live in LA. I feel like I'm always in the yeah. sun. And they're like, no, 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 you need to take vitamin D. I feel like, is that just, do you feel that it's a fad or do you feel like really everybody is actually deficient in vitamin D? And what is it well, I, for you? I think, so vitamin D um, acts more like a hormone um, than a vitamin in the body. Uh, vitamin, vitamin D is uh, essential for bone development, but it's also essential for hormone function. Low vitamin D levels in men uh, will cause low testosterone. In women, you start to see uh, progesterone and estrogen um, imbalances. It can cause, uh, it can exacerbate autoimmune issues. 
So let's say you have psoriasis or Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, low D levels can cause some big problems. It's, it's very important for immune system. So people with low vitamin D levels are far more likely um, to have severe uh, side effects from respiratory illnesses like the flu. So it's a very important nutrient, just like many nutrients are very important. Um, are a lot of people deficient? Studies show that it's, it's relatively prevalent, um, mainly because we just don't live outdoors uh, the way we evolved. Uh, so we're inside all the time. And so our D levels kind of below. Also, your body synthesizes vitamin D from sunlight, but also uses cholesterol to do so. Um, and if you have uh, low cholesterol or if your diet doesn't contain much dietary cholesterol, you're going to synthesize less vitamin D uh, from sun exposure. And then there's a lot of genetic uh, factors and lifestyle factors that can affect that. Um, now, they have established a range of what's considered uh, ideal vitamin D, le- uh, vi- vitamin D levels. Uh, I'm not familiar off the top of my head with what that range is, but you probably want to be somewhere in the middle. At least that's what the current uh, science is showing us. But if your vitamin D levels are, are adequate, supplementing with vitamin D not only will give you zero additional benefits, but may actually become, yeah, may actually be detrimental. Um, you may actually be causing yourself problems. And this is true with a lot of nutrients, you know, if, especially the fat soluble ones. If, if you have adequate levels and then you supplement with it, like there was a craze for a while for, for women to supplement with uh, calcium. Oh, you know, yeah. It was all about it was years ago, but I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all about osteoporosis, strengthening your bones. And obviously calcium is part of the bone strengthening or you know, building process. So they said, take a bunch of calcium. And so you had all these women supplementing with a lot of calcium who weren't sending the signal for their body to strengthen their bones. They were just sedentary because your bones build like muscles do. I could eat a bunch of protein, but if I'm not working out, I'm not going to build more muscle. Same thing with calcium or whatever. And so you had all these women taking tons of calcium. And what they found was that they were building uh, deposits in their arteries and causing problems with uh, their heart health. So uh, if you have adequate levels, supplementing won't help you. So I think the best thing you could do is go get tested, um, uh, get tested for your nutrient levels and see where your levels are at and then supplement accordingly. And if you have adequate levels, then supplementing is is not going to benefit you. What do you think about circuit training versus traditional training? Um, it depends what we're talking about, but if we're talking about the context of modern life and the average person, so um, if, if it's okay, I'll set the context up so people kind of yeah. understand. So modern life is uh, very sedentary. It's designed that way. Um, in order to create lots of activity, you actually, actually have to go out of your way. In fact, when I would track client steps um, just, just to see what movement looked like, I mean, people are getting you know two, 3,000 steps because most jobs or many jobs are now at a desk, mm-hmm. you drive to work, you come home, uh, you sit down quite a bit, but we're also very busy. So it's not like we're not moving a lot because we're not busy. We're not moving a lot because life is designed that way, but we're also very, very busy. So we just don't have a lot of time to try to inject lots and lots of activity to try to burn calories. Now you combine that with the modern, uh, the context of uh, that food is very, very easily accessible. It's hyper palatable. It's all around us. So we have easy access to food that tastes really good, is inexpensive, and it's very hard to manually burn a lot of calories. In other words, it's very hard for me to burn it off by trying to move. So your best strategy, in my opinion, is to uh, positively influence your resting metabolic rate, your metabolism. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to train for strength and muscle. Uh, now, uh, simplistically speaking, 
muscle burns more calories than body fat does. It's a it's an expensive tissue. So just having more muscle on your body will result in a higher calorie burn. But there's also something else that happens. Just sending the signal to your body that you're trying to get stronger, that you're trying to build muscle, even if you don't gain a ton of muscle, even if you only gain three, four, five pounds of muscle, which by the way, for most people, a five pounds in, in muscle gain, you're not going to appear bigger, but you will feel a lot tighter. But sending the signal to get stronger does tell the body that it can try, it can, it doesn't have to be quite as efficient with calories. So you also get an, ex, an amplified uh, calorie burn from that. So in my opinion, if you are limited on time, um, if you can only work out two or three days a week and you want a long-term strategy, your best bet is to focus on training in a way that speeds up your metabolism the most. And, and the best way to do that is to train for strength and for muscle gain. Now, circuit training does build a little bit of muscle and some strength, but circuit training really is more like cardio than it is resistance training. So you burn more calories for a 45-minute circuit training session than you would with a 45-minute session of traditional strength training. But the metabolism-boosting effects are superior with the traditional strength training. So the best long-term approach for most people uh, should be traditional strength training. Now, if, you're, if you've got all that already, you've got a lot of time, you like to exercise a lot, and your goal at this point now is just to burn more calories manually, circuit, and you want to condition, you want to get more stamina, more endurance, you like more of that athletic performance, then circuit training can, can have a lot of value as well. You know, why is it psychological that we feel that if we run for 45 minutes, that we're getting a better workout than if we would do weights for 45 minutes? I, th I think it's because we've attached the, the, the difficulty and the challenge, so the intensity. Mm -hmm. We've also attached sweating, gasping for air, how hard it feels while you're mm -hmm. doing it to effectiveness. Now, the truth is, and anybody who's been training people for a long time will tell you, Intensity doesn't tell you if you've had a good workout or not. It just tells you what you did was hard. So literally, you don't need a program to feel something that's difficult. Go, in the, go dig a bunch of holes and fill them back up and you sweat a lot and you, you, know, you, you got an intense workout. But mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily make it effective. What we need to do is attach uh, what, are, okay, what are our goals? What are we looking for long term? What's going to set me up for the future? And uh, what, are, what is my progress looking like? If I approach my workout with the, I need to burn as many calories as possible approach, I may burn more body fat initially, but long-term, I'm going to hit a lot of plateaus. Um, first off, the body learns how to become efficient with calories when you do that. It's very good at that. In fact, there was a study that they did. I love this study. It was actually one of the best uh, studies of its kind where they went and studied the, I believe they're called the Hadza tribe, H-A-D-Z-A, uh, I think is the, spell, the spelling of it. And they're modern hunter-gatherers. So these people live very differently than the way we do. They hunt their food. They gather their food. They, everything's very manual. They move a lot. And the researchers, through sophisticated testing, were able to calculate how many calories their bodies were actually burning every single day. Not estimated, but how many calories their body was actually burning. And they predicted that these people would be burning three, four, five times more calories than the average person. Now, what they found was actually shocking. What they found was that those people were burning a little bit more calories than the average modern sedentary individual. Now, you think to yourself, how is that possible? They're moving so much. Well, our bodies evolved 
in that environment for most of the time humans have been on earth. For most of the time that humans have been on earth, we were hunter-gatherers. Our bodies learn how to become efficient with calorie burn, if that's what we do over time. Just think about it. It makes no evolutionary sense for you to be a hunter-gatherer and burn 10,000 calories a day. You wouldn't be able to find enough food to survive. Right, so your body, right. your, your body adapts. It learns how to burn less calories. It becomes, it becomes like a, a, a hybrid car, you know, half electric, two cylinders. It's going to burn a little bit of calories, but get you to go long periods of time. Now, mm -hmm. strength training tells your body to be less efficient with calories because the priority, the adaptation priority that you're sending, the signal that you're sending to your body is saying, I need to be strong and have more muscle. And I'm feeding myself. I, I forgot to say that part. If you train for strength and you train for muscle, you also need to feed yourself accordingly. If you want to crash diet while doing that, you're not going to accomplish much. So eat a high protein diet, feed yourself appropriately. You're not trying to go in a bulk, but what you're trying to do is eat to fuel the muscle growth, eat to fuel the, the strength gains. You might even be able to eat at break even, in which case you'll burn body fat while building muscle. That's difficult to do, but that's possible. But yeah. both of those things tell the body we can become less efficient with calories because in the past, you know, when we were hunter-gatherers, a fast metabolism was detrimental. You know, if, if you require 6,000 or 7,000 calories a day to survive, you had a lower chance of survival than somebody who was super efficient with calories, who was only burning 2,000 calories. But today, because the context has radically changed, it's the opposite. If you have a super efficient metabolism, you're at a disadvantage unless, unless you're, you're, you know, you're, you're okay with eating very, very little for the rest of your life, which is fine. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But most of us find that very difficult. We want to be able to enjoy food. We like to, you know, set it again. Our lives are sedentary. A fast metabolism is a huge advantage nowadays. It's a great insurance policy against modern life. So that's what you want to consider when you pick your route, your workout program. How many days a week can I work out? Oh, I'm busy. So maybe three days a week. I'm already sedentary. I think I enjoy food a lot. I want a fast metabolism. If that's you, then focus on building muscle, building strength, and you'll be much better off. Yeah, I think that people's go to, especially girls, I think women, women feel like they have to do cardio. It's like a, it's a very psychological thing that, that to burn calories, to be thin, uh, it's, a, it's very hard to uh, convince a lot of women that they need strength training over cardio, right? Oh, totally. Uh, I, I have, I, I'll give you an example, Jen. I had, uh, I'll give you one client I trained a long time ago. Her name was Sharon. And she came to me and she worked out five or six days a week, lots and right. lots and lots of running, lots of circuit training, you know, all the stuff that burns lots of calories. And she still had, I forgot, her body fat percentage was somewhere around 26 or 27%. Not bad, but not super lean, or at least, for her, she wanted to get down to like 20 or 19% where right. she could see some definition. She was healthy. Otherwise, no problem. So she was maintaining that body fat percentage and her body weight, consuming about 2,000. It was anywhere between, it was about 1,700 to 2,000 calories a day, doing five to six days a week of a lot of working out. That's how mm -hmm. much she could eat to maintain her weight, right? So she came to me and she said, I want to get leaner. What do I do? And I said, well, uh, either you eat less. Um, or we speed up your metabolism or you burn more calories. And she said, look, uh, burning more calories, I'm already working out. 
six days a week. Like, um, what am I going to do? Work out seven days a week, twice a day? Like, what am I going to do? Right. Eating less, she said, okay, I could do that, but I enjoy food. And for the amount of exercise I do, I don't want to like eat 1,700 or 1,800 calories all the time. So let's see if I can speed up my metabolism. So what we did slowly is I had her slowly transition from burning manual calories to building muscle and strength, slowly reduced her her running and cardiovascular, slowly increased the strength training. I had her lift weights four days a week with me. Eventually, we got to more advanced resistance training routine. Three days a week would have been fine too, but she was, again, she was advanced. So we went four Mm -hmm. days a week. She was running once a week versus the five or six days a week. I had her do something called a reverse diet where I slowly increased her calories, increased her calories, no weight gain, no weight gain. Did this over a period of, uh, I think it took us about eight months. Then when we got to the point where she was eating a lot of calories, not gaining any weight, doing strength training, working out way less than she was uh, before, then we could cut calories and she got lean. She got down to 20% body fat and she got down to 20% body fat eating 2,500 calories a day. So she essentially ate anywhere between 700 to 500 more calories a day, worked out less, and she was 20% body fat instead of 27% body fat. So that's just a, uh, that's a, that's one way that you can tackle this goal. And I think it's a more long-term realistic approach for the average person. And women, I mean, when you explain it that way, of course, they're going to love it just like men will love it. I think resistance training has got a little bit of that stigma, but mm-hmm. it's not, not as bad as when I first got into personal training. But I mean, the truth is, look, if you're a woman and you lift weights like a bodybuilder and you train that way, here's what you'll end up with. A very tight, sculpted, toned physique and a fast metabolism. That's the truth. Very few, very, very few women are going to lift weights and look, you know, bulky or muscular. It's very, very rare. Uh, those, that takes a special kind of genetics, which I've probably seen in person in my life once or twice. Um, wow. And it's, especially if you're natural, you're going to be fine. Well, you know, I think what happens also at the beginning, you know, if you don't see instant gratification, right, you don't see that happening. And you just like, when you stop, when you transition that when you, when you, uh, do the opposite, like more strength training, less yeah. cardio. I think it's so hard on people because they're not seeing what they want to see right away and they're not doing it. So they're not getting that endorphin release. That's what's really hard. So they go right back to what they're doing before. Yep. And then they never even give themselves a chance really. Yeah. To, like, and, and the hardest people to convince of that are the, are what I call the cortisol junkies. Now these are people who, you know, their job is very stressful. They're go, go, go. They've got their kids, uh, you know, they've got their, their mortgage and they find uh, stress relief or at least what they consider to be stress relief from the super intense workout. You know, what's really happening is here's a person who's pushing their body and their, their stress all the time. Their right. cortisol levels are high all the time. And because their cortisol levels are high all the time, just like if, you're, if your insulin levels are high, you start to become resistant to insulin. Mm-hmm. This, person, this happens with other hormones in the body as well. And I, I'm generalizing here because it's much more complicated. But you can start to become resistant to these stress hormones. And by the way, a lot of people don't realize this. Cortisol feels good. Cortisol is a fe- if you If you get a boost of cortisol, this is what it's supposed to. It's supposed to raise in the morning to wake you up and make you feel alert. But if you push it all the time with your lifestyle, then you start to feel resistant to it. Then you throw coffee on top of it. So now I'm going to throw caffeine, get more cortisol. Oh, now I feel dead. Let me get more cortisol, go hammer my body with a, a you know, a orange theory class or a, a hardcore right. circuit. Or uh, what you'll find a lot of times with these cortisol junkies as they are late to appointments often, not realizing that subconsciously that cortisol feeling is making them feel. 
But over time, if they push that, you start to get, you know, HPA axis dysfunction. It's what they used to call adrenal fatigue back in the day. That's a dis- oh. that's, you know, not, that's not the best term, but those symptoms start to start to appear. Excess fatigue, hormone imbalances, f- fat gain out of nowhere. I feel terrible. I have to drink four cups of coffee a day just to keep my eyes open. Terrible place to be. That takes like a year sometimes to repair. So I, I, I tell people this, like when you're building a house, yes, you can build it faster if you put up the walls real fast. And from the outside, it's going to look really good, but you're not going to have uh, a real house. You've got to start right. with the foundation, build it right, put the plumbing in, do everything the right way. And then you'll have a house that'll last you a lifetime. What's the, what are the symptoms of uh, adrenal fatigue or what you called HBA? What did you call it? HBA? HPA axis oh. dysfunction. So the, the, the hypothalamus pituitary and the adrenals communicate with each other. And uh, they, you know, if one, you know, sends a signal, the others have to uh, adapt and, and they work with each other. And when there's a dysfunction there, you get hormone or chemical imbalances uh, in the body. The symptoms of that are the excess fatigue, intolerance to cold and heat. So you know you're in a warm room, but you're always cold. Um, poor sleeping patterns. Um, you know, or you sleep a lot and you wake up still uh, exhausted. Mm-hmm. You need uh, mood swings, irritability, um, cravings for foods that uh, like hyperpalatable foods like sugars, um, processed foods where you just you know you feel like you need to eat them. Um, even though you've just eaten something. Um, so it's all those, those symptoms of that, that, you know, that we all are, I think, familiar with where you just feel overall, ter- you know, hard to burn body fat, your calories are low, can't figure out why fat's not coming off your body. Digestive issues, that's a very common one. Why is my digestion off? I'm, you know, constipation or diarrhea or bloating. That's a very common one where you eat and then all of a sudden foods you ate before that were fine now cause you to look like you're six months pregnant, you know, by the end of the, of the evening. So these are all this compile all those together. Those could be, uh, under the category of HPA axis dysfunction. The remedy for that being more rest, stress management. Um, you could use supplements that help with the body's ability to adapt, like ashwagandha for some people is a good one. Um, and m- taking your workout routine and focusing on building strength, building muscle, and uh, rejuvenating the body. So relaxing type stuff as well. The, op- the stuff you don't want to do is beat yourself up all the time with these circuits and these just crazy high intense workouts. Right. Can you imagine like I've got some friends who are like ultra marathoners and like they're running like a hundred hundred and they're doing they're doing like in one year two Ironmans and two ultra marathons. And yeah. I'm like, what is the point of doing all this stuff? Like they think that they're they're doing something good for themselves, but aren't they just breaking down their body? Like, isn't that just madness, really? Like Yeah, it's well, anytime you push age faster. Absolutely. It's very oxidative. Yeah. Uh, anytime you push yourself to the max of whatever performance you're looking for, then you start to lose longevity and health benefits. That, that's true for any physical pursuit. Yeah. So even strength, strength training. If I was hardcore, like competing as a bodybuilder, I'm going to lose some of the longevity benefits. So what I'm talking about is how to incorporate strength training so that being lean is easier, so that you get a, a, a aesthetic physique, not extreme. I'm not talking about looking like a a physique competitor or being shredded. That's a different approach. I'm talking about being fit, healthy, 
having longevity. That's the approach that I'm, I'm referring what to. What are you doing? You're like ripped all the time. Uh, no. I, you know what? I've been, I've just been. Even in this quarantine, you're ripped. I saw a picture you posted on Instagram yesterday. I thought, like, you look like Wolverine in that picture. And no, you're just like rolled out of bed. No, that's, that's uh, lighting in a pump. That's what, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Whatever it is, it works. I don't I do, know. I do resistance training pretty regularly, a little bit of mobility training. And I've just been doing it for so long, Jen. I mean, it, you know, it's just. Uh, it, I know. It's not a struggle for me because it's something I've been doing for so long. Uh, okay. What is, okay. So how about body part splits versus whole body? What do you mm. prefer? So for resistance training, uh, whole body w- routines for most people are vastly superior. There's a couple of reasons why body part splits tend to hit body parts less frequently. So a, like an example of a body part split would be Monday, I hit chest, Tuesday, I hit back, Wednesday, I hit shoulders and so on. Full body routine hits the whole body each time that you work out. Um, studies show, so we can actually measure the muscle building or what, what you would refer to as the muscle adaptation process through something called muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. And right after a workout, muscle protein synthesis spikes. It goes up uh, predictably, but it also drops very quickly after about 24 to 72 hours. Now, this is true even if you're recovering, okay? So recovery and adaptation are two things, two separate things. Now they can happen simultaneously and they often do, but just because you're healing, which is recovery, doesn't mean you're adapting. So if you work out your, your, let's say you work out your legs on Monday and you do 15 sets of exercises and then you wait a week to rest and recover and you get really sore and all that stuff, you may be building and adapting for one to three days, but then that drops and now you've lost three, four days or you know, consider this, the body's always adapting. Um, and that means it'll adapt in the opposite. So you may build, go to baseline, and then the body adapt in the opposite. Your muscles are always either adding or taking away. They're always trying to match the demand. You'll only ever be as strong uh, or as muscular as you need to be. Your body will never be stronger than you need to be. So uh-huh. the best approach is rather than doing 15 sets for your legs on Monday, is to do five sets on Monday, five sets on Wednesday, five sets on Friday. So I'm not telling people to triple the volume or the work. I'm saying do this, the same total volume for the week, but divide it amongst you know three workouts. The other thing to consider is when you're doing a full body workout, functionally speaking, it tends to send a more complete signal to the body. So if I work out my legs only on one day, I'm sending a little bit of a different single than if I work out my legs, my back, my chest, my shoulders, my arms, all on the same day. So, and this is just, this was also based on my experience training clients. They got far, but I train full body. I've been working out for, you know, 20 years, over 20 years consistently. You do? Oh yeah, absolutely. I do full body uh, three days a week and then Tuesdays and Thursdays and weekends, I'll do mobility type work. So for the, for the average person, no joke, average person who's just looking to get fit, healthy. They're not trying to be super crazy shredded or anything like that. They just want to have good metabolism, maintain good longevity. Two full body workouts a day with resistance training is great. Plenty. You mean a week? You mean a week? A week. Now, the the rest of the week, I still think it's a good idea to walk throughout the day. It's a good idea to maybe incorporate some stretching or mobility. I think that's still also very important. If you want to take it to the next level, you want to push your body a little more, three days a week of full body. And then advanced would be four days a week. But most people, two days a week, they'd get 
they'd be so happy if they did that the right way. They'd be so happy mm-hmm. with the results. That's so great. I mean, I, I, I think for, for me anyway, and a lot of people I, I deal with, they like the mental part of it, right? Like yeah. how it makes you feel. It gives you that. For me, if I don't work out, I don't feel as productive. I don't feel as, as on point. So I need to be working out every day. For people yes. like us, you know, three times a week or four times a week isn't enough. So, and then walking is not even enough. So if, if you want to, if you want to do strength training, like five times or six times, are you saying that's actually counterintuitive? No, no, you, it depends how you design it. So, um, so there's a couple things that I would do. So I too like to work out most days. So I do right. mobility, I'll do mobility work. Like what? Uh, What's that? What do you mean? Oh, so mobility like would be like, work? Mobility work is is different than uh, flexibility training. Um, it, mobility aims to connect to to create new ranges of motion, mm-hmm. but also connect to them. So an example of a mobility position would be like the ninety ninety on the ground, um, handcuffs with rotation, lizard with rotation. Uh, if if people aren't familiar, by the way, we have a YouTube channel, Mind Pump TV. You can look those up, and we teach them. They're much more like working out than they are stretching. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. Here's something else. If you really like resistance training on those days in between of those, let's say you do the three hard full body workouts, you can do what are called trigger sessions or focus sessions. So you're still going to the gym or your garage or wherever you have your, your workout set up and you're doing light, lower intensity workouts. You're just trying to get a little bit of a pump. You're trying to connect and squeeze the muscles. You're doing mostly isolation movements on those days exercises that don't create a lot of damage. Maybe you're using lots of bands or bodyweight exercises. So that's how I would approach that. So for me, I like to do the focus sessions or trigger sessions sometimes. So I'll go into my garage and let's say yesterday I did my hard full body workout. Let's say I want to put a little bit more emphasis on my chest or on my, my, my quads. Or for example, I'll go into my garage and then I'll do some isolation movements for my chest with some bands, some dumbbells. I'll squeeze, get a little bit of a pump, but it's nowhere near the intensity of my my hard full body workouts, but just enough to keep uh, that that muscle protein synthesis signal elevated. I can handle it. I can recover well because I'm, I've been training for so long. So that's kind of right. how I would approach it. And how long are each session? Are they 45 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes? What is it? So if if we're talking about the average person doing two or three full body workouts, you're looking at you're looking at uh, 45 to 60 minutes if you include uh, your priming warm up, which should take about uh, about 10 to 15 minutes, so about 45 minutes to an hour, um, and you can do you can do between uh, three to five sets per area. I would focus on compound movements because they just produce the best uh, mm-hmm. results bang for your buck. Compound movements are exercises that use more than one joint. So uh, an example of a compound movement for the legs would be a barbell squat. Uh, an isolation movement would be like a leg extension. Compound movements just give you far better, again, for time spent paying for your buck. Um, and then on the days in between that are mobility or what I call the focus sessions, you're looking at if you want 30 minutes or if you want to do an hour, you could do that. And again, keep the intensity much lower on those days. Um, but you know, you could do that, like I said, most days. So you'd be in the gym, you know, between five to six days a week or even seven days a week. The key with lots of training is to manipulate the intensity. You don't want to have six days a week of hard weight training workouts. Most people's bodies can't handle that. 
Right. How, what do you think of HIT training? Because HIT training is all the rage, right? Everyone's like to burn the most, to get the most bang for your buck, most efficient, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. HIT training, Tabata. What do you think? It depends who we're talking about. Again, so if I'm talking to, you know, I'm going to create an avatar, right? So let's say I'm talking to Miss Jones. Okay. She's high stress, doesn't get good sleep, nutrition's off. Um, you know, uh, her work is stressful. Um, mm -hmm. She's coming to me talking to me about some of those symptoms that I talked about earlier. So, you know, cold, hot, intolerance. She's not eating very many calories. We're tracking, and yet she still is having trouble losing weight. Her, you know, her history is over applying too much intensity with her workouts. Mm -hmm. Hit training for her, terrible. I'm going to push her over the edge. I'm going to throw too much stress on her. It's not going to help her. For right. her, it's going to be much more of a, a lower intensity approach. Now, let's say I'm talking to somebody. Let's say I have that, that, uh, that, that hippie, you know, person who's super chill. They don't really work out super hard. Um, they, uh, you know, they're, they're they don't, they don't really push themselves that hard and they want to do 20, 20 minutes of something that's going to burn a ton of calories. Hit training can be very effective for that person. So it really does depend. And the problem mm -hmm. is when they come out with these studies that show hit training burn, burns more body fat than low intensity cardio in, you know, time for time, you know, context matters. You know, it's, it's not going to be the best for everybody. You have to consider that. Mm -hmm. You have to consider what's best for me because the wrong, thing for you is the wrong thing. It's not going to give you better results. So if right. you're that person who's, like I said earlier, you're not getting great sleep, out of shape, I would not take a beginner who doesn't have good movement patterns, who hasn't worked out very hard, and then have them do HIIT training. That's, right. that's just not a good idea. I'm going to beat them. It's just their, their movement patterns are bad. Oh, great. Now I'm going to do intense, bad <laughs> movement patterns. We're just going to make things worse. So it really depends on the person. Right. Um, Okay, that's fair. And then what was the other one? Oh, yeah. I also wanted to ask you, you I thought you said something about the most, was it the most overlooked fat burner is your gut, is your gut health, right? Is that what you said somewhere? I think I, on your I, Instagram yes. or something a long time ago. Yeah, I think I wrote a, a, a post about that. Well, I, when your gut health is off, um, it's going to be very hard to burn body fat, build muscle, or really get your body to adapt. Um, in ways that, uh, you know, get your body to burn, like speed up your metabolism, for example. When right. your gut health is off, uh, systemic inflammation is high, um, you're, you're, you're going to get less serotonin production, um, you're not going to feel as good, anxiety is going to be higher, we know this, it's all connected. So uh, I would say for people who have poor gut health issues, here's the bottom line. If you want to maximize your body's ability to burn body fat, then mm -hmm. you want to start from a healthy point. So if your health okay. is poor, then going to try and burn body fat is not a good idea unless the body fat is the reason why your health is poor. So like, I feel like a lot, everyone's talking about gut health now or the microbiome. And that's like the very, those are like very buzzwords right now. Right. Yeah. And, um, Number one, how do you know if you have poor gut health? How do you know if you have a bad, uh, uh, if your microbiome is off? How do you know any of this for the average person? Right? How does they, how do they know? And how do they how do they what's the how do they fix it? Yeah. Well, okay. So um, if you have bad gut health and it's really bad, you probably already know. Okay. Symptoms okay. would include symptoms would include chronic acid reflux or heartburn, mm -hmm. uh, okay. off indigestion that's common, uh, bloating, uh, lots of gas. Of course, the obvious constipation or diarrhea. So if you're not having one or two bowel movements a day, or if your stool is loose, 
or if you're you're you know if it's super dry and hard to pass. Um, some subtle symptoms of poor gut health include chronic skin issues, um, so chronic rashes, um, uh, hives. If you get like if you feel like you have histamine issues, sometimes that can come from oh, the I gut. Have huge, yes, that's from your gut. That Even if you had it as a child, like for my whole life, I had like bad allergies. Like right now, I'm like on tons it, of like allergy meds. It can come from the gut. Now, uh, I'm not a, a gut health expert. I've had a lot of gut health experts on my show, and it can be a symptom of poor gut health. Now, how do you fix it? Depends what the problem is. If it's SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial mm -hmm. overgrowth, which the last study I read said something like 70% of people with IBS or IBD. Uh, had SIBO, then the course of action would be to treat the bacteria, which would be either pharmaceutical antibiotics mm -hmm. or herbal treatments, which believe it or not, the herbal treatments are just as efficacious in studies. So you don't have to go pharma route. You can actually go herbal route. Um, and then during that process, managing symptoms. So oftentimes people with SIBO, a low FODMAP diet, a lower carbohydrate diet, Low, uh, you know, no, a gluten-free diet tends to re help reduce symptoms, so at least they can tolerate it while they're treating um, their SIBO. Um, but uh, I would recommend if you if you feel like you have gut issues, get tested. They can do a SIBO test. You could do a stool test. You can work with a functional medicine practitioner and then follow the protocol. SIBO can be a bit of a pain to treat. Um, I, I, it can take as long as. You know, it could take months uh, sometimes to treat and or as little as a month for some people. And well, so how about like, how about your hormones? Have you heard of peptides, by the way? That's like, yeah. I feel like I've been hearing yeah. a lot about that. What do you, you think mean like about the, You mean what? like the gray, you mean like the gray market peptides that people are buying online and then they're. Yeah, I don't know. If they're, what is gray? I think it's like a lot of. Um, I feel like a lot of like biohackers have been talking about it yeah. and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of, um, especially in LA and New York, yeah. there's people who are, who are, who want to take their like health or their longevity to the next level, or they want to like, you know, burn more fat and get more lean. There's like a hack that they say would be like, as you age, right, your, your hormones are, can be lower testosterone. We talked about this before. Yeah. Um, people are taking peptides or they're taking, you know, yeah. as there's all sorts of different ones. You can inject them. You, you can, you have to go see a doctor. They take your, not ne actually, to be honest, they don't necessarily even take your blood and they yeah. can put you on these places because these compound pharmacies are making them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar. So um, first off, you don't have to go to a doctor. Uh, that's why it's gray market. The way that they're sold online is as research chemicals. So really? Yeah, so you don't have to go to a doctor for them. Who's going to give them to you? No, now you, you you can buy them online. That's where most people are getting them. Yeah, I didn't know that you could. Eat, but the real, like the ones that you are compounding, not the. Oh, okay, I didn't. know Yeah, that. okay. So here's the deal with hormones. I'll I'll start there. If yeah, your okay. if your hormones are off, it's often a signal that something else is off. Okay. Mm -hmm. If now that being said. Uh, if hormones are off, they can cause their own hormonal issues. That uh, So sometimes taking hormones can be healthy. For example, if I'm a man with very low testosterone and I try to address all the common reasons why it might be low, diet, sleep, stress, still not working, I'd be better off going on testosterone because low testosterone could cause health problems in men. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, you can fix whatever was causing the, the hormones to be off and then you don't have to go on the hormones. The reason why people like to go on hormones is because 
they feel good, and it masks all the symptoms. If my testosterone levels are low because I'm getting five hours of sleep every night, I'm drinking you know, 400 to 500 milligrams of caffeine every day, my diet is off. So now I got low testosterone, low libido, and I refuse to fix anything. I just want to take some testosterone so I can you know, have a sex drive and feel better. And that's what's going to happen. It, it, that's why people a lot of times will do it. They don't. They don't want right. to fix the stuff. They'll take the testosterone, feel better. So that's that's the whole hormone thing. Peptides are not approved uh, by the FDA. Um, they are in research um, status. Uh, oftentimes, they've gone through maybe one phase of FDA approval. Oftentimes, they've gone through no FDA approval. They are experimental. Now, the reason why you can buy them. Is because you can websites will sell them as research chemicals, which is a loophole. That's why it's a gray market. Now, oftentimes these peptides are either what are known as secretagogues. Secretagogues are compounds that cause your body to release more growth hormone or insulin-like growth factor. And you know, if you get more of those, you'll start to feel good. By the way, those hormones like IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, in an inflammatory pro-cancer state will increase the risk of cancer. So I just want to say that, that they're not without the risks. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So if that you the, I, I've heard of CJ, I'll tell you the ones that my, some of my people that I know are on CJC and impamolin. I don't know. If that's, <clears throat> so I'm, okay. I'm not familiar with those exactly, okay. but if they do release more IGF-1 or growth hormone, if it's in the context of, if you're in a precancer state inflamed, you've got, oh. you know, potential tumor, but it's not a tumor, then you throw some insulin-like growth factor on it, it'll spiral. Now, if you're healthy, you're probably going to be okay. But here's the problem. None of these compounds studied, tested thoroughly. You're experimenting essentially on yourself. I mean, there's another uh, class of these compounds called SARMs, uh, S-A-R-M, which stands for Selective Androgen Receptor Modulators. These are hormones. These are chemicals that attach to the androgen receptor in the body, much like testosterone will. And com- pharmaceutical companies are experimenting with these because they're, they're trying to do is create a replacement for testosterone. Because one of the drawbacks of using testosterone is not only do you, you know, boost the libido, build more muscle, but then you get the masculinizing effects of testosterone. So if I gave you testosterone, you may feel the, the, the libido boost, the bu- muscle building, but then you also start to grow facial hair, voice lowers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're all kinds of weird stuff might happen, right? And in men, it may cause hair loss, prostate enlargement, that kind of stuff. So what they did is they're trying to create these chemicals that give you the good without the bad. So far, they haven't been very successful, but they exist. These com- So people are buying them online, injecting themselves, getting some of the effects of like you're on a mild dose of testosterone, except you're not. You're still shutting down your own hormones because the doses that they're taking are way higher than are being. So it's like, I tell people, look, it's your body. You can experiment with it however you want. I'm a big advocate for that. So whatever. But my advice, if you're going to take hormones, then at least go with the ones that we know that they've been around for a long time. You know, go to your doctor and take testosterone. At least we know what that does. Like, or take growth hormone. We at least know what that does. Uh, but the, the, all these peptides and, and SARMs and gray market, you know, uh, drugs, like we don't, they haven't been tested. We haven't been using them for a long time. Doesn't sound like a good idea. Wow. So in, I'm in LA and there's, all, there's doctors, functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, 
um, who are prescribing them. So it's, they're not doing it. The people I, that I'm in contact with, they're not doing this gray market. They're just people who are all about longevity and high performing. And they're, they're just, they're trying this out as like the, uh, you know, just another yeah. thing to like add to the, you yes. know, nothing against functional medicine doctors. Um, I know some, uh, that are very, very good. I love what they do. I like their approach, but they aren't, they don't prescribe, uh, medicines. They're not MDs. And right. some of them are you know, just like any profession. You know, there's terrible personal trainers out there and there's really good ones. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these functional medicine doctors that just, this is their, this is their shtick. This is what they do. And they, yeah. they give people, which is so against, in my opinion, what functional medicine is supposed to be. Functional medicine is supposed to be find the root cause and get your body to be able to do it naturally. So it's insane. But I mean, you're in LA. So it doesn't, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Right. And then also, I thought because they're sell, everyone's talking about them being an amino acid, and therefore, if they're amino acids, they're, 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 they're 100% safe. There's no, there's no, no. side effects. Terrible. No, uh, testosterone is a, a string of amino acids, you know, or chemicals like, you know, right. that's such a, that's such a deduction, a simplistic um, deduction to try to make your, it would be like, okay, you know, uh, te- you know, steroids are cholesterol molecules. Okay. So I could say to you, Hey, um, inject you with cholesterol. It's a steroid. It is technically it's a steroid molecule. That doesn't make it the same thing. You know, a corticosteroid, an anti-inflammatory steroid is a steroid, but it doesn't do the same thing as anabolic steroids. Like that's a silly thing. That's one of the silliest things I've ever said. And by the way, amino right. acids are not without side effects. If I give you, let me give you an example, Jen. If I give you too many branch chain amino acids, branch chain amino acids are like a buzzword in the fitness space, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Leucine, isoleucine, and valine. If I gave you a ton of leucine, uh, isoleucine, and valine, the branch chain amino acids, you would get a reduction in dopamine production and maybe even serotonin in the brain, and you might not even notice uh, depressed uh, symptoms. Um, if I give you enough of a dose, it could be pretty bad. So. To say that it's because it's amino acids, it's there's no uh, side of potential side. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. No, I mean, listen, like I, I, I that's what I'm saying. I think too too much knowledge is actually dangerous. People, there's too much knowledge to be. It's dangerous, right? Because people don't know where what's 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 right, what's wrong. They hear little bits and pieces. They're looking for a shortcut, right? And that's this is what happens. I mean, and it's people who have the access. A lot of times, right? Yes. Who have the ability to have they have they have like expendable income. They are educated. They want to like take their their performance, their longevity, their health, whatever it is, to the next mm-hmm. level. And these are the things that are available, and they take a chance on it. And yep. then other people, you know what I mean. This is what happens. It reminds like, me of. Do you remember the HCG diet a while ago? Oh my gosh. Um, that was like a thing for like a second, which was. Which one know, was that one? It was. I don't remember. HCG is a, HCG is a hormone. Yeah. Hormone, so like if, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. like when you're pregnant, like that's the hormone that the that the that's the, the right that they no, find right. It's really scary. And like a lot of these people are like, people look at, we were talking earlier in this podcast about how people look to the wrong sources and they look really good. Physically, they look really healthy. And they're saying, oh, I'm taking this peptide or I'm doing this, you know, and they're like, oh, that's, that's what I can do. You know, that's, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's just a very, it's a very slippery slope. And nothing, nothing looks, especially in person. Okay. Cause I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, you see all these 
fitness models or these, you know, on Instagram. I've been to figure competitions. I know many of these people who are, okay, when you see them in person, you can see the poor health oftentimes. You see it in their mm-hmm. skin. You see yeah. it in how they, how they look. Okay. Nothing looks more attractive in the real world than being truly healthy. Nothing. Yeah. Be, and I mean inside and out, okay? I agree. Our bodies, your body, people watching this right now, your body has a tremendous potential when it's healthy. So all you have to do is try to become healthy. That means looking at everything. If you do that, you will be happy with the way you look. I I really do. I really believe that. And I know that I've done it. Like I said, I've done this for a long time. That's the best way to approach it. Have you, what do you think of like this, uh, all the red light therapies and saw infrared saunas Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, all those types of things to like, your ice baths. Like, do you have any, do you believe that any of these things help with your health uh, long-term or yes. are they all kind of just like another thing that are like cryotherapy or yeah. whatever it is? It, de- it depends what we're talking about. So red light therapy, very interesting. Um, there are lots of studies that support it's used for wound healing, uh, scars, um, psoriasis, believe it or not, hair growth in men. Um, do I think it, replaces the you know exercise diet lifestyle no um but it's got some it's, it's got some interesting things that it does now you you brought up uh, ice baths and sauna that's very interesting um our ability to acclimate to temperature um is uh, it's like a muscle and if you don't train that you actually start to lose that ability and like any muscle if it atrophies you start to notice some health uh, issues and if you train it and get stronger you notice some health benefits. There was a huge study that was done on sauna use, for example, and they found a dramatic reduction in all-cause mortality among people who use the sauna, I believe it was two or three days a week uh, on a consistent basis. Um, people who, you, who do cold therapy, you see a reduction in their, uh, uh, how often they get respiratory illness or colds mm-hmm. every year. I think, you know, because we evolved, you know, without temperature, temperature control, our body starts to look, I'll give you an example. When I I lived in Palm Springs for a while, uh, when I was in my early 20s, and that's the desert, right? And it gets Mm -hmm. really hot there in the summer, like 120 degrees. And I remember, it was shocking at first, like I would go outside, and it felt like somebody had a blow dryer and was just, and I couldn't believe how insanely hot it was. But after I lived there for a little while, it was still hot, don't get me wrong, but I kind of got used to it. Then I remember I came, I would come up to San Jose to visit my family and it would be like 89 degrees or 90 degrees. And I, and everybody would be, oh my God, it's so hot. And I'd be like, it's not that hot. My body actually started to acclimate. And I would, I would remember I'd have clients that were from like Minnesota or from, you know, Chicago and they'd come train with me here in San Jose. This is back when I had my studio up in Los Gatos and it would be, you know, 55 or 60 degrees outside. And I'm wearing a sweater and I'm, you know, cold. Yeah. And they, you know, shorts and tank tops. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's that's not, it's, it's warm outside. Your body can actually acclimate to temperature. And if you lose that ability, studies are starting to show that that actually can, can uh, reduce your, your potential for health. So it's probably a good idea to, to get your body to learn how to acclimate to this stuff. But like anything that you practice, you want to start slow, move your way up. So if you're watching this right now and you never, you know, do, you know, cold therapy or, or sauna. I don't think you should go from nothing to every day. 
slowly work your way up. But there's there's definite health benefits. That's so funny. Because I'm from Winnipeg, right? In Canada, I'm used to like minus 40. Like it's like yeah. the coldest place in the world. And it's so funny what you're saying because it, when it was like 10 degrees outside, 10 degrees, people in LA at 10 degrees would be like in their house wearing a parka with the heat on. Yeah. We would be like, oh, it's 10 degrees. We would literally be outside in our bathing suits thinking it yeah. was like the hottest day in the world. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true, right? Right. Because like, it's just, it's all relative, right? So like when people are all like this cryotherapy, they're like, oh my God. I mean, I lived like that for like eight months of my life. You know, like I had to plug in the car if I wanted to, we had to plug in the cars if you wanted to go anywhere. It was that cold. So, yes. you know, that's why it's funny that I, when you said that about your people from Minnesota or from Chicago coming in, they're like 65 and they're like. Yeah. And here in California, no joke, if you're not from California and you're watching this podcast, if it's below 69 or 68 degrees people are like long sleeves you know cold like you know what i'm saying <laughs> they're wearing like their ugg boots up to their knees they're wearing yeah. a parka they're like wearing scarves i mean like literally like if it was 65 degrees where i'm from i I'm not, i kid you not school would be out and we would be like sun tanning outside and yep. it would be like popsicles and like it would be like a totally different experience right yep, yep. it's just so funny how like it's so, everything is so relative um yes. I think that's basically all. I mean, I, I think I've asked you enough. I think we went another like hour. Um, awesome. Can I mean? I, I feel like I can talk to you for like hours. I have like a million more things to say, and I'm like, I think I, what we should do is have you on again and maybe oh, go through. A whole, I love it and have like a whole other plethora of things to go through with you because you're a fountain of information. Like I feel that you know more than like medical professionals and you know you know a lot about a lot of things like some people know like a little bit about a lot of things you know a lot about a lot it's crazy i appreciate that i i don't i don't want to be put in the category of medical professional i have tremendous respect for them and they really know what they're talking i'm just an obsessive (laughs) an obsessive person and i really really love things that uh you know that affect our health and our well-being and i've been obsessed about it for decades. And so I just love learning. And then I have a, a, a little bit of a, um, what's it called? A, 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 I have a memory where I could just recall things. And it usually makes me annoying. But in the in the context of podcasting, it makes it's very valuable. So it's I found, very valuable. I found the medium that works for me. I just have a random question. Even now that you have all the success with Mind Pump, and uh, what, what do you even take on clients anymore? Because I did you have any private clients or you don't do that anymore at all? No, I, I stopped. Uh, I sold my studio about a year into, into Mind Pump. Um, mm. And I, I did a little bit of online coaching for a second, but we've gotten so busy here and mm-hmm. I have two kids and uh, I have a baby on the way. And so um, I try to devote my, my time and energy to Mind Pump. I, I, I do a lot of the content creation for us and, you know, we podcast pretty regularly. And, and it's I, at some point I might start training again. I love doing it. Uh, but I, I don't currently do any. So people have what's that? So you have a program though called Maps, right? Is that what it's called? Maps. Yes. Yeah. So we have uh, many uh, uh, Maps programs, uh, each oh, of them okay. for different different goals, different people. Right now, one of our top sellers is Maps Anywhere um, because it's it doesn't require any equipment. You just need resistance bands and a broomstick, and you can do it at home. So it's an at home workout program. Of course, people are stuck at home, so I think that's why it's so popular. But what I do want to tell your audience is, so our, our programs in comparison to others are priced at a premium. But if you DM me 
on my Instagram page uh, at Mind Pump Sal, and you tell me that you heard me on this podcast, I'll give you half off uh, any program that we offer uh, on our website, uh, mapsfitnessproducts.com. So half off any of them, but you have to tell me that you heard me here on Jen's podcast. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I want to try one of your programs. I want to look like you. How old are you? Oh, I'm uh, 41. I forgot for a second. <laughs> because I, I, because like that, you're like a testament that age is just a number because I, I think you're more fit than anybody I, I've ever seen that's like 19 or 20 who work oh, out. Like, oh, you're doing you. everything right. No, you are. Would it, thank like, you. Do, you have, do you have a specific... Do you, I know we talked a little bit, but just quickly download... Is there any like top five foods or beverages or some, what can, what, what are your go-tos like every day? If you have like a ravenous appetite and you kind of mm -hmm. like, you love to eat, what can people eat to kind of make them feel satiated that would, well, that will actually work to their benefit? Pizza. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, for me, uh, my favorite sources of uh, starches, if I want uh, carbohydrates for, to fuel my workouts. White rice is just very, very easy to digest. Mm -hmm. I like to make my white rice with bone broth, though. So this is a little hack. If you, if you use bone broth instead of uh, water, you've added, you know, you know, 20 grams of, of collagen protein um, to your rice. So that's something I like to do. Um, I also, I, I love uh, grass-fed meat. I, I digest mm -hmm. it very well. It affects me very uh, Whole eggs. Um, mm -hmm. I have a great lipid profile, dietary cholesterols don't have a negative effect on me. They don't have a negative effect on a lot of people. Um, so I consume probably 800 to 1,000 milligrams of cholesterol a day through eggs. And it's great for my recovery, my strength, my testosterone levels. Um, so for me, that works really, really well. Um, fruit, I'll have occasionally. I love, uh, my favorite vegetable is rapini. Not a lot of people know what that is here in America. Um, broccoli rabe is also called, so R-A-B-E. It's a very leafy green. And I'll just cut the stems off. I'll boil the heck out of it till it's really, really cooked. Drain the water, pour some olive oil on it, a little bit of salt and garlic. I love it. My favorite. Why? Why would be, why that versus broccoli? Is it better for? Is there is there a nutrient? Is the nutrient content different or? It's so easy to digest, and I can eat a large quantity of it, especially if I boil it. So it's very it's it's cooked down. Yeah. It affects my and my digestion is so good when I eat uh, a, a when I eat rapini at least a few days a week. Really? Yeah. I like that. I'm going to try that. How, so, so do you believe that this whole, what, like, what do you think of all this artificial meat? Like people are eating beyond meat, impossible, all this. Mm. When, isn't it better just to have real protein, like the real thing? I mean, that, that stuff's all garbage. It has like salt and more salt and then a yeah. little bit of sodium. Yeah. I think, I think if you're, I mean, if you, if you're not eating Clearly meat. Clearly I'm not sponsored by Beyond Meat. Sure, or, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if you're, if you don't eat meat for, you know, because you have a belief that, you know, that you don't want to kill animals, I get that. I understand that. But if you're eating these products because you believe to be health, that they're healthier, it's, that's so wrong. I mean, when you, when you look at the average person's diet, okay, oftentimes the only thing that they don't eat that's processed, the only things are eggs, steak, chicken, fish, and maybe dairy. Everything else is processed. So what we're doing is we're essentially telling them, Let's remove the, un the only thing that you're not eating that's processed and let's replace it with a highly engineered processed vegetable food that's it's so engineered and processed <laughs> that it tastes like meat. Like that's crazy. Like it's not healthier.
Oh, it's crazy. But why? It, it's such a it's such a craze. I mean, these companies are making so much money. It's like it's really it's like it's skyrocketed, and people are, are under this assumption that it is like the healthier way to go. That like if you want to mm-hmm. be healthy and da da da, eat this, not that, and like you can't. It's a great it's a great marketing. I mean, their brand their their marketing is so on point. That just goes to show you advertising does work, right? Because oh yeah. People think, oh yeah, I'm gonna have this uh, whatever artificial, you know, alternative to meat hamburger, and I'm being healthy. I'm taking care of myself, which is like so contrary. Bothers me. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's because we're falsely led to believe that it's healthier for us, um, that it's better for the environment, um, that it's uh, it, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a better for us product, but bec- and it tastes the same. So people think, oh, I'm gonna make that choice. The truth is. Even if you don't believe in processed versus unprocessed, natural versus un- even if you don't believe that, the macronutrient profile, just the proteins, fats, carbohydrates, and calories, they're not, it's not even better there. There's no. you're literally, you are not getting anything from it except you're trying a Franken food that's trying to replace something that is far more natural. It doesn't make any sense. Oh my God. And like you, the digestive process, the bloating, I mean, like it's unbelievable. But, you know, I just want to vent and I, I want to know if what you thought, what your thoughts were because yeah. it, it just drives me crazy. But Same here. Um, it's just, yeah. Anyway, you're so, I, I, I guess I should let you go. It's been like forever. So <laughs> uh, please, please come back. Where can, so people can find you, of course, on Mind Pump. And yes. um, it's a great, great podcast. I was Thank a guest, you. as you know. And um, my, my, Mind Pump Cell, right? At Mind Pump Cell on Instagram. Yes. And anything else? Where else can we find you? Anywhere else? Yeah. yeah. So don't forget, you can DM me there. You yeah. have to tell me you heard me on this podcast. Otherwise, I won't give you half off. So you have to say <laughs> that. Um, uh, you can go on our YouTube channel, Mind Pump TV. So I named a few mobility movements earlier. Right. If you're not if you're not familiar with those, you can literally type it uh, in a, in the search function for Mind Pump, and you'll see us demonstrating those those movements. So you can figure out how to do them the right way. Ba- right way. Excuse me. And then if you want free written material, uh, like, you know, how to work your arms better, how to get a better midsection, you know, improve your squat. Uh, we have one for personal trainers to help personal trainers start off on their business. You can go to mindpumpfree.com. And then we have a bunch of guides there that are mm. totally free. So that's one more place. Wow. So you give away a lot of free content, it seems yes. too, right? Yes. Yeah. That's good. I mean, well, that's, yeah. the name, that's the name of the game, right? These days, it's like, uh, if you... You know, our goal with Mind Pump really was to provide as much free information as possible that could benefit people. And then through that process, uh, deliver so much value that people will come to us and want to buy our products. And so it seems to be working, but that's the strategy. Let's give right. more, more free information than anybody else. How many hours a week are you, or day, are you doing? So Mind Pump, the podcast and these programs are taking up all your time now, basically. Oh, well, luckily. Yeah, luckily I don't work. You know, I, w- all of us probably work a regular schedule. I would say forty hours, fifty hours a week. Um, I used to work crazy, crazy hours, but uh, going through a, a you know, I got divorced, and now, now I have dual custody, and I realized that I needed more balance in my life. Luckily, the way we've designed and created, uh, you know, our, our business and our company, Mind Pump, are much more efficient, and I have the best partners in the world. They're all of them are so much better at the things I'm not good at that we can rely on each other to do the parts that 
you know, to control the moving pieces in the business. So because of that, all of us, you know, have a lot more balance, I think, that we've ever had. And thrive. I mean, that's like the, that's like the, the secret to success for partnerships, right? Find people that you who have that who could do the things you can't do well, right? And you can thrive in the things that you can do. Right? Totally. A, that's and I, you guys do a great job. Like, look at Doug, the tech, like, you know, the the yes. technical wizard over there, right? So that's that's a great point. Um, I think that's it, Sal. All I think right. I took up enough of your time. Thank you. And you're awesome. And uh, I appreciate all your very uh, wonderful knowledge. And we'll hopefully see you back here soon. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast. Powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.